Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Alan Thompson. Alan, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you start off, tell our listeners who you are, where you're from. All right. I'm Alan Thompson. I'm a real estate agent with Rupps Real Estate. We're located in uh, DeLand, Florida. We are between Orlando and Daytona Beach. Just a nice little neighborhood in between the two of them. Awesome. And what got you into real estate? I have always loved real estate since probably middle school, maybe even earlier than that. Um, My grandfather was a real estate agent before I was born. And then he uh, went on to build houses and always bought and sold houses. I think the uh, most my mother was ever living in the same house growing up was, uh, she said, I think six or nine months. It wasn't very long. And so I actually, in middle school, told my parents they should be buying farms around us. Farms were selling for five to $700 an acre. Wouldn't that be nice to get a hold of now? Um, by the time I graduated high school, they were selling for about 15000 an acre. So they didn't take my advice, but that's okay, you know. And I remember in probably early in my college year, maybe end of my high school career, early college, I uh, was when the do-it-yourself was getting started on TV and and they started doing flipping shows and I met a house flipper somewhere and I called my grandfather and I said, this is unreal. I didn't know people really flipped houses. And he said to me, well, what the heck do you think I've been doing all these years? <laughs> well, I didn't know because he moved into them. So I always thought that he was just buying and selling houses. I never correlated it to uh, actually flipping them. So yeah, got it. How I got it started. Uh, before I was in real estate, I spent a lot of time in big box retail, managing uh, big box retail. And uh, one day I looked around and realized that everything had changed over the years and I no longer liked my job. And I figured if I could sell $60 million worth of pickles a year, then surely I could sell $60 million worth of houses a year and get paid a whole lot more to do it. Much to my surprise, it's a little harder to sell $60 million in houses than I thought it was going to be. Well, yeah, I feel like it usually is a little bit more difficult than it looks like from the outside looking in, but uh, the income opportunity is still there and it's massive. So to give my listeners perspective on where you are in your real estate journey, what was your transaction volume Uh, either last year? uh, I know that you had a big year during the pandemic, so uh, maybe that's a good place to to then have my next few questions um, based on... So my uh, volume last year it was uh, five million. Uh, to put that into perspective, however, unfortunately, 2019, uh, I managed to do a whopping three transactions and didn't think that I was going to survive the business. So it was well under a million dollars in 2019. So going into 2020, into a pandemic and coming out over five million dollars, I was really excited to have those numbers. Uh, this year, we're a little short of projection, but uh, I was projected a little over $7 million for the year. Okay. And what were some of the changes you made in order to go from $1 million or under a million to over $5 million that next year? 
Absolutely. The biggest change that I made was um, routines. I started putting together a routine the day that the pandemic, basically the day that we were announced that we were going into a government shutdown. Um, I did a number of things. One of the first things I did was I started tracking every day my statistics because I wanted to know what was happening in the real estate market. Um, I did have listings at that point, and I wanted to be able to direct my sellers and my buyers to make the best uh, choices that they could um, based on the data that we were getting. But I took my business plan that I hadn't touched you know, since January, and I dusted it off and actually opened it up and and took a look and basically i crossed through every item on the business plan and i rewrote the business plan to match uh what we would do in a lockdown but i think the most important thing that i did was that i actually put together a daily routine that would match that matched up with my business plan and what i was trying to do up until that pandemic i had I guess you would say a routine, but it wasn't written down. I wanted a written down checklist. That had always been one of my goals to do, but I thought I needed to be successful before I implemented that plan, if that makes sense. I thought I needed to know what those tasks would be in order to be successful. And I realized that, no, I needed to start doing tasks and then determine if they were successful or not. So what I did instead of just going online and looking for you know, million dollar producers routines, I actually took a, a legal pad and I set it next to my desk for about two weeks and I notated everything I did through the day so that I would know what my routine was before I started building what my routine was going to be. Um, and that was, uh, I think, a major factor because in the past I had just tried to implement things and and they didn't work out. Um, That's a key learning lesson. And I really want everyone listening to take note of that. I just had a colleague ask me, hey, what was that that uh, practice that you mentioned back in, you know, a couple of months ago where you document all your activities throughout the week? And so I, you know, I explained it to him again via text. So we had it written down. The concept is once you keep track of the activities that you're doing on a daily basis, every 15 minutes, you have a timer go off and you write down what you're doing, you'll realize, number one, how much time you're wasting on non-income producing activities, stuff that does not matter. <laughs> and number two, you'll be able to realize how little it takes to actually succeed and make money. Because what you're doing to barely get by is so finite. If you just quadruple the 15 minutes a day, you're actually doing the activities that matter into an hour, you're gonna mm -hmm. maximize your income so much more. It's a powerful process to go through and it's very tedious because every 15 minutes you're like, gosh, this freaking alarm. But it's super valuable. I can look back over the last five years and track every 15 minute increment of my day, Monday through Friday. And I do that from my electronic calendars where I do my weekly planning. I set my intention with my different roles, but when I don't abide by something or something moves, I don't just leave it where it was. I adjust. If did this 30 minute task take an hour and a half and I had to push something, I move it. So at the, by the end of the day, I have what actually happened. And that way I can look back at any given time and see 
how many hours I was putting into certain activities, if certain things are falling through or certain income isn't where I want it to be, I could just go look at my calendar and hold myself accountable. It's such an important- I'm jotting that down. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take notes right there because uh, that's uh, something that I think is a fantastic idea and I don't necessarily need a timer, but for that two week or three week period, I kept my, even after I finished that routines list, I kept modifying it as I would notate, oh, today, you know, Thursday, and I happen to know that I do this every Thursday. And so, but once that routine list was built, then I kind of stopped doing that. And I noticed that that would be why I'm tapering down a little bit this year. So we're not modifying those routines as we go along. And and, uh, as things started to open back up, I didn't take into account, okay, well, some of these meetings that were virtual before are now happening in person. So I need to take the time to add that time into my schedule of driving, well, getting in the shower and cleaning up, putting pants on and driving to a location where I'm going to be seen in public. So that's a, a great point there is a, to keep a time journal. Yeah. I mean, and, and it will definitely adapt as, as the years go on, as interests shift, as opportunities come in and, and leave your life, you know, that will adapt. And I, for me, I also include my, my personal life, being a great husband to my wife, making sure date night is on my calendar, making sure all the areas of my life that really matter are represented as roles that I need to be the best version of myself in, in my calendar on a weekly basis. And then you got to review it. So having weekly reviews and monthly reviews before you plan the next week, also super key, because then you can look back now that it's accurately depicted of what actually happened. And you can realize, oh, I tried to stack five things, major things in this day. And really, I can only do three. And so then moving forward, now, you know, I can only do three major things a day. And so you don't try and overcommit on a single day and feel bad about not getting everything done when it was impossible to get done anyway, based on your track record. Right. So it's, it's, it's a really important process to go through in, in my opinion. And it's funny because I, before all this, I used to joke about the fact that I needed an app on my phone so that as I was putting stuff in my calendar, it would pop up and just remind me, Hey, dumb, dumb, that's not going to be a 30 minute activity. You're going to be there for an hour and a half. You already know that. I don't know why you're putting it in as a 30 minute activity or, you know, don't you know, your previous meeting is going to end 15 minutes and you got a 40 minute car ride between the two. Maybe we should rethink that. Mm. But uh, yeah, great point on being that app that I joked that I should have had. (laughs) Yes. And you brought up some other good points about planning and scheduling travel time and buffer time. So I have blocked off 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., 12 p.m. to 1 p.m., and 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. And in those times, I can't have any meetings booked across all of the live calendars I have out there available. That's because at noon, whether I'm having lunch or catching up on emails and offline activities, I just need that hour in the middle of the day. I might even just take a walk and walk my dog or take care of something at home, but I just need that hour break, right? Nine to 10. If I have a meeting right at 9 a.m., it feels so rushed in in the morning for my morning routine to get everything done, to do my mindset, to do my phone calls, to do everything that's, that's most important to drive the needle. If I have a meeting right at nine that that trumps that, then gosh, I feel like I'm catching up the whole day. And so I have little buffer times. And then if I have a podcast like this, or if I have a meeting that requires me to be in a different location, I block off travel time and buffer time before and after them because things aren't going to end right when you want them to. And if they do, or if they end early, great. Now you have some free time. 
but don't forget about those and don't overcommit. It doesn't usually work that way for me. (laughs) Right. So what is the single most important action you take on a daily basis that has attributed most to your success? Now that you've kind of journaled and you figured out, you know, this stuff wasn't working, then you quintupled, I guess, your production. You went from 1 million to 5 million. You know, what activities were you making way more phone calls, which is probably the answer. Like what, well, what was, I, I want to cover the number one activity that sets it. And you say that you alluded to it, my morning routine. If I don't, and it starts like tomorrow's morning routine starts tonight. I've learned that my brain runs way too fast. So I need a cup of tea or a uh, Tylenol PM to shut myself down. Uh, but I need to be shut down by 10 o'clock. So I need to have my tea or whatever by 9.30 and I need to be out by 10. Otherwise, I don't get up early enough in the morning. And last night was one of those nights I didn't fall asleep until 11 o'clock. And I got up an hour and a half after I planned to this morning. And I didn't accomplish any of my day today because I was offset of that routine directly from the the get-go. But that's the number one is getting to bed at a reasonable hour that I can kick off my morning routine because if it's not done, I'm not doing anything. I'm just thrown off the rest of my day. I'm I'm off kilter. But the true blue activities, uh, there were two major activities that really contributed to my success last year. And that was that uh, every minute that I wasn't developing my business plan or in a meeting, I was using that to reach out to people either on Facebook Messenger or via phone. And I was just checking in. Everybody that I could possibly think of, I just wanted to check in and see how they were doing and see if there was anything I could do for them. And that was that really just kicked the conversation going and kept me talking to people and kept people talking to me while they were not necessarily in a good position. And then I started a at the time it was bi-weekly twice a week we did a show every monday i would interview an expert in the industry on like a, a mortgage professional a home inspector anybody that was in the industry about something that people needed to know in the buying or selling process and then every friday i interviewed a local business to try to help get the word out about them either restaurants or retail chains something that was a local business and get them out in front of my audience and then it would also get me out in front of their audience so those were the two big kickers one of them that uh was kind of a tough call but i went ahead and decided that i i'd make it was i uh reached out to one of my customers who I had lost to another agent. Uh, It was a buyer that I was working with and they went under contract with another agent on a reasonably high priced house. It was probably 30% above the average price at that time in our area. So a nice um, paycheck and, you know, it, it hurt a lot because it was somebody that I had volunteered with and spent a lot of time with. So I just reached out to them to see how they were doing and if everything was okay. And they came back and thanked me for it. And, and so then I slid into, well, how, how did everything go with your house? And they said, well, actually we backed out the real estate agent scared us and, and basically led us to believe that we were going into the next crash with this pandemic and that we were going to lose everything. And they said, well, what do you think, Alan? And by that point, I'd been a month into collecting data on the market every single day. And I said, <laughs> 
not according to the the numbers I'm pulling, we're nowhere near a crash. I mean, you know, I can't see long-term out, but I can tell you that we're a long ways off and this is going to get busier. And so they decided to start looking for a house with me again. And we ultimately uh, took a few months, but got them under contract. And that was uh, one of my highest price sales that year, uh, last year. And so- nice. That was a, a morale booster, definitely. <laughs> you know, that was from reaching out to someone who had been a sore subject in your CRM as you're scrolling through, and you're like, "Oh man, Absolutely. lost that one, right?" And and it was a tough call to make. You know, it was eating my pride, and and sometimes you got to do that in this business. I mean, there's a lot of. I'm in a market. I don't know about you out there, but I'm in a market that there are a lot of agents, and I'm good friends with them. And sometimes I come up with a, a very close friend that I'm in competition with. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. But uh, being able to eat that uh, pride and and just swallow it led to a very good, very good turnout for me. So got it. And with your business, how much of it is referral, and then how much of it is new business from some kind of outreach or lead generation? Absolutely. Most, and I can't give you pinpointed percentage wise, but probably 80 to 90% is referral. And that's from being very, very active in the community. And then a very small percentage, uh, one to two transactions a year, lead generation sources. And part of that is uh, my personality style and understanding who I am. Uh, Before I got into this interview, I was looking for a quote. I didn't find that one. But I found another one by Joseph Lowry. It said, uh, if you don't know where you come from, it's difficult to determine where you are. It's more difficult to plan where you are going. And how that tied into me was I was raised in a uh, Midwest household and, and very much of the, we don't ask favors from anybody. And we do whatever we can to help somebody else out. But even if it's... <laughs> Every invitation to do something with somebody else, we were we were told to decline outside of a, you know a birthday party. But I remember as a kid, uh, my grandparents ran R- RV parks, and uh, somebody came into the RV park uh, had a, another kid about my age, and we were playing. I don't know, maybe ten or eleven years old, and her parents ran sailboats. And they were taking the sailboat out and uh, and offered to let me go. And my grandfather uh, was going to decline. He was polite about it, but he was like, no, we, we can't do that to you. And I'm like, but I really want to go. I ended up getting to go. But that was the whole way that I was raised was you don't impose on anybody else. You don't go out of your way. So on the online lead generation, when we were a part of some of those online lead generations where it's like, hey, you got to call these people three times on the first day and then once every day for the next three days, like, mm, no, <laughs> I'll call once and wait for them to call me back. That it was bothersome for me to do that. And so with that in mind, I, I have figured that out and, and developed that into my plan of knowing that I'm going to have to be in front of 10 times as many faces to be successful though in doing that, because I can't, uh, I can't, turn those lead generation sources easily with my personality type. Did that make sense? Yeah. So I know a lot of agents that are not comfortable doing that type of outreach and servicing online leads to the level that they need in order to come out of their shell from behind their phone and actually get into a buyer broker agreement or listing agreement. And 
there is a lot of care that goes into the conversion aspect of online lead generation. But luckily nowadays, in the 21st century, you can even have someone handle the conversion. So you don't even have to talk to someone until they are ready to meet with a knowledgeable real estate professional. And nowadays with my agency, we are offering more of an end-to-end solution where we help everywhere from the online, you know, the branding, mm-hmm. all the way to then the direct response, lead generation type ads that then lead to the form submission. And then the agent doesn't even have to talk to them until they've had a conversation with an ISA and been qualified and then either live transferred or scheduled. So that way, when you do have that conversation, you're not having to overcome barriers, call them three times, this and that. They're already ready. They've already been qualified. The ISA has gone through, you know, 10 conversations to now hand you this one who's ready in the next one to three months and has a house to sell. Right. Which so is fantastic for people like <laughs> me. <laughs> right. Because I, I do, I get, uh, a lot of leads online and I uh, don't convert as many as I should. As far as that goes though, I'm, I'm heavily involved in three different local chambers of commerce and in my church. So a lot of my, even my referrals come from people who are, have met me through the chamber of commerce and then also see me every Sunday at church. So um, it's hitting them multiple times over, but as far as lead generation online, then we're going to talk more about that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have a conversation about that. And I do offer a free consulting session for all my podcast guests. So we'll talk about that after. Um, There's definitely some very intriguing ways for someone who's at your level to now level up and not have to do all the things you don't want to do. You know, there, there are options to be able to pay good people to do those and still have it be super profitable. So With that being said, you mentioned the industry in the short term trending up based on last year's low inventory numbers probably is what you're looking at. Um, You know, where do you think the industry is heading in the next, I don't know, five to 10 years? Like, what are your projections with technology? And, you know, what are you doing right now to set yourself up for future success? So technology is going to change drastically as far as the real estate industry. I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next 10 years, and maybe I'm off by that. It might take 20 to get there, but over the next several years, we're going to see a lot of changes. I looked back and realized that I don't think we've seen what I would call a stable market in at least 15 years. I can't think in 2006 and seven is when it started to really pick up. I bought a house in 2002 and sold it for three times with what I purchased it for in 2005. So, you know, even then it was starting to pick up though we didn't talk about it until later. Uh, We're still not building enough homes to meet the demand. So inventory levels, while they're getting a little better, they continue to decline in some areas. In some areas, they're building a little bit faster. I think that it's very possible we could be looking at a new, what we would consider can stable market. I, I don't think that the three to six months of inventory might not be what is considered stable for a long time. This shortage, I think, is going to last for a while in, in several markets. Now, you might have a few markets where that changes, but long term, I think that it's going to be a seller's market for quite some time on a broad standpoint. 
I think that the iBuyers, I don't really know where they're going to fall into. I think they're going to increase as far as their popularity. Zillow is definitely going to be something that we should all keep an eye on if you're in the real estate industry or if you're in any sales industry, because the customer's going to want simplicity. And I've got a house right now that we're under contract with our fourth buyer. It's fallen through three times. So you don't think that next, when this is a rental property that they own, that it's been this much of a challenge to sell. I'm very worried about if I'm going to be able to get that sale on their personal residence when that time comes. But I'm taking that into account and we need to be able to shift. We're small business owners and we need to be able to shift with the market. Businesses have to do it just like we do. When it's time for them to sell their personal residence, I'm going to show up with a, a iBuyer offer in hand and a listing presentation and let them decide because I've already lost customers who I thought were loyally tied to me this year who have sold to those iBuyers. And looking back, I'm like, eh, probably should have communicated in our first meeting that I can sell to those iBuyers. They don't have to go out directly to them. I can represent them to those iBuyers. That's going to change the way we do our listing presentations. It really is. And if it doesn't, those are the people that might not be in business in five or 10 years. As far as marketing, Jeff, you're going to be able to answer that question far better than I am. But I think we're going to see some changes in the way that we market. We've already seen a lot of changes in the way that we climb in Google and how we stay relevant in in front of social media. And I think that this tool, that green screen doesn't work. (laughs) I think that the way we uh, use our cell phone, it's already changing. I spent time watching it in the last couple of years. I watch uh, Gary Vaynerchuk a lot. And I think he's on to something. I think that voice technology is going to change the way that we have to market to our customers and stay relevant to them. Because right now you go on and do a Google search for a realtor in my area or a real estate agent in my area. That's changed in the last few months. Now Google has their preferred people across the top. Make sure that you're one of those preferred people. I've gotten leads off of that. And then they have the ads that everybody skips to find those first and second place spots, which are belong to Zillow and Realtor.com and the big, big spenders. When somebody goes to their phone and asks the, their phone to find a real estate agent, that's going to be one result. And how we market and be that one result instead of competing against the others, I don't know how that's going to pan out. How do you see that happening, Jeff? Well, there's a lot of interesting things happening with voice for sure the, hey, Google, and then people talking to their phones, the way that people talk as opposed to the way that they type. And, you know, a lot of this can be identified through keyword research. And then with that keyword research, now you can decide whether you want to do SEO, search engine optimization, Mm -hmm. or if you want to do the type of paid advertising in order to get to the top or do Google local services ads, like you mentioned, where it, it recommends the best realtors in the area. That has become much more popular in the last year as they opened it from other services to real estate as well. And the problem with that is there's only so much inventory. So because there's so many realtors in every area and so many of them have heard of this and they've now done it, you're not guaranteed to get that rotation. And Google also checks how many times you they call you and it goes to voicemail 
and they'll push you down on the LSA, even if you have amazing reviews and everything. So there's a lot of little nuances that go into it. But for those of you interested in a deeper dive into the different type of new technology to stay at the top, to do algorithm hacking, to be able to you know be a local authority through either Facebook groups or different tactics, then feel free to just reach out. We can have a, a longer discussion about that. One tip I will tell you is actually super easy. Most agents want to put their name on their Facebook page. And technically, legally, with your brokerage, there's some compliance there. But what if you looked at the most searched term in your area, like best real estate agent, Delanto Beach, right? Or Delant, is it Delanto? Uh, Deland. Deland and Sorry. Deltona. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. De Deltona. No that's what I was thinking of. Best Deltona. real estate agent, Deltona and you titled your Facebook page that, and then that was in line with the most popular keyword. And then you created a ton of content with that keyword and around it, and you made the page very rich in data. Well, all of a sudden you would rank up there with Zillow and Redfin as some of the top search results on page one of, of sure. Google. <laughs> Cause you're that I exact took note of that statement. Too because, um, yeah. Yeah. So, that's a, a valid point. And the thing about technology is you've got to take advantage of that stuff while it's available because it's going to change in 15 minutes, maybe not 15 minutes, but in a short period of time. And right now in the, we're in the state of Florida, that's something that uh, is in the process of being changed, but our Florida Real Estate Commission does not necessarily control the name of the Facebook page as long as the agent's name and brokerage is on there. That could change right. in a few years, and it probably it probably won't be a few years. It will probably be in the next year or two that that changes. The, they are looking at those kinds of things right now. They've changed the way they control teams and, and how team advertising is done, and they're looking at the same thing for independent agents. So um, yep. I think that Facebook's going to be a hot topic, too, on how that works, but that's something that can be done right now is changing that uh, to yeah, that local search term. For and sure. maybe even it's a really long one, the local search term and then long tail is better. <laughs> long tail is better. Uh, the short tail, like, I don't know, homes for sale, Deltona, that stuff, it, it, they have so many other people competing for it. But if you did even like a smaller suburb or just a longer tail keyword, there's less competition there and you're more likely to rank. And you, all you need is a sliver of that search traffic to be very wealthy. <laughs> yes. Um, is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? I don't think so. I think that I do need to emphasize that uh, the majority of my success, while it did come from organizing my day, the booster to my success was making sure that I had a communication plan, even though it wasn't what most people would call a very elegant communication plan, but it was simply that I was going to make sure I touched base with at least 15 people every single day. And that's really what drove that success um, and making sure that I was not just going to reach out to 15 people, but have a personal one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. Cause mm. I was in events and all of that stuff where I was reaching at, I, I was seeing 80 people a day, but that intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation and, and building that relationship wasn't there. And because that wasn't there, the success was slow to follow, if that makes sense. It does. 
Totally makes sense. And I can easily tell why you went from 1 million to 5 million. That commitment, 15 a day, I mean, that's huge. I need to get back and to that, it. <laughs> that, that would, exactly. And that proves the entrepreneurial roller coaster concept. As you start to achieve some success, it's easy to stop doing the activities that got you there. And then what happens? It goes back down and then up and then down and then up and then down. If you want to sustain that success, then you need to focus on the activities. So move that 15 contact to 20 and then maybe 20 to 30, but you're like, how can I possibly have 30 one-on-ones a day? Well, now you're starting to introduce team members, right? And you each do 15. So now you went from 20 back down to 15, but you have two people and then you start to scale it, right? And so it's a super big concept to, it's so simple, but it's very important to understand and I'm really glad that you brought that up. Like, man, I need to get back to that. Absolutely. Yes. Like hundred percent. That That's what was driving the needle. Nothing well, else matters. <laughs> exactly. It, it goes down to, and we talk about it all the time, but offsetting and, and making sure that you're, you're doing the tasks that make money and any of the other tasks, delegating those out to people who can do it. We're doing them after hours. If, if you're a one man show, do that it. stuff at if night. You can't afford to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Delegate it now than doing it later in the day. Uh, You can't make phone calls. Yeah. (laughs) It's so easy to get caught up in the title company needs an addendum or the lender needs this or the lender needs that to close when you're dealing at one or two deals at a time. But prioritizing that time to reach out to your current database or any of it. I'll tell you, I, um, what I didn't mention was it took me five years of building to finally get my overnight success. When I came back to the Deltona area, I had been out of the area for seven years managing a store a thousand miles away. So I came back not knowing anybody and having to build that from ground zero. What I failed to take into account was that I also lost probably twenty dollars to $30,000 in referral business from the people that I knew all over the country from my corporate job, who I didn't reach out to and let them know I could do real estate and I could help them with their real estate transaction, even in their state. So I didn't think I had anybody to talk to because I didn't have anybody to talk to in my neighborhood. It was right around the corner and and I could have made a lot of money in referral sites that I missed out on. That's a really good point. And I don't think a lot of people think about their out-of-state contacts once you get your real estate license. Kind of cut them off. I didn't. You're like, (laughs) but that's that's important. It's extremely, and that can help fund a lot of your marketing stuff in the area. So Yeah. I mean, that alone could pay for your admin for the year. Then, I mean, I know single agents with an admin that kill it and they do crazy amount of transactions because like they're just focusing on income producing activities all day. Their admin is full-time doing all the paperwork and the title company stuff. I mean, if you got a couple of referral deals that paid for your admin for the year, you could double your income. I mean, so yeah, something as simple as that or dump it into marketing. I mean, it's those key moves. There's so much opportunity that we just have yet to uncover in our own network immediately at our fingertips. And one thing that I know that I'm dangerously close to having or dangerously I have to watch very closely is that uh, managing my time, I brought in a a transaction coordinator last year um, and I should have done it years back, but I just 
didn't think I was producing enough to do it. Well, if I would have taken the time that I was the transaction coordinator was taking away from me and use that to just reach out to people and see if there was anything that I could do for them, then I would have been years ahead of where I'm at now. I'd be multi-million dollar producer right now instead of, well, I am multi-million dollar producer, but my income would be in the multi-millions instead of my sales being in the multi-millions. Right. There you go. Well, how can listeners contact you? You can find me on most social media platforms. I think I'm in all of them. At home with Alan, A-T-H-O-M-E, at home with Alan, and Alan spelled A-L-L-E-N. My website is deltonahomesource.com. Most commonly, I'm on Instagram, really. Awesome. Alan Thompson, everyone. He went from 1 million to 5 million during the pandemic. And that's something that I think a lot of listeners can relate to. You know, many listeners are team leaders and brokers and, you know, they're at a level where they're focusing more on recruiting and kind of scaling out of their business. But many of my listeners are agents that are in that, you know, doing a couple of transactions a year kind of space. Yes. And some of those shares from the 25-year broker who does $100 million a year don't resonate because they haven't bridged right. that gap. But what you shared today about something as simple as 15 contacts a day, boom, your business exploded. Stay with that. And really appreciate you sharing it. So Alan Thompson, everyone, really appreciate you being on and sharing your perspective. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.